You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Those stories for you in just a moment. But first, breaking details of a fatal shooting that has part of Surrey behind police tape at this hour. Investigators have just released the name of the victim, 30-year-old Sumit Randawa of Surrey. Randawa is known to police and they believe his death is targeted. It happened in the 6700 block of 130th Street in broad daylight this afternoon. IHIT has been called in and will be working in partnership with the RCMP. Anyone with information is asked to call IHIT or Crime Stoppers. Now, RCMP have concluded their investigation into that fiery pipeline explosion near Prince George and have determined it was not criminal in nature. Enbridge was given the green light to restart one of its two pipelines in that region. Good news for customers fearing a shortage, but it is also raising some concerns. And our Sarah McDonald joins us with the latest on the investigation tonight and why some locals are feeling a little uneasy, Sarah. Well, Chris, that's right. What is good news for so many British Columbians elicits a very different reaction from those living near the epicenter of that blast. We now know that explosion was not criminal, but still it posed a very real threat. The damage is extensive. Its ramifications sending a ripple effect right across the province. Yeah, it's fucking intense. I can feel the heat. But we now know the explosion of this natural gas pipeline near Prince George Tuesday was not criminal. RCMP finding no indication that this looks like the pipeline blew up was intentional. I looked out and it was this huge explosion. Though that comes as cold comfort to those left living alongside it. Dozens of families like Felicity Anderson's forced to flee as that fireball erupted. It kind of just makes you wonder like how safe it is for our kids playing in the backyard with that pipeline so close and that explosion. Like we felt the heat. I'm apprehensive. Yeah, I don't think um, they're doing enough to like, even inform the community of what's happening. Among the evacuees who share those concerns, one of the country's most influential Indigenous leaders. This is all the debris that came off. Terry Tiji, the province's regional chief, calling for more safety assurances from the energy giant, whose infrastructure, for whatever reason, failed. It's a wake-up call to, to the whole industry and about aging infrastructure. Uh, and, you know, perhaps this was one of those uh, uh, discussions we should have as, as, as British Columbia and Canada. And for its part, Enbridge says it is balancing the needs of hundreds of thousands of British Columbians with those of its neighbours. It's absolutely understandable. I mean, this is an incredibly stressful thing to have happened for them. It's incredibly important to us that we be good neighbours in the community we operate in. And when things like this happen, we know we're not being a good neighbour. With the taps now turned back on, that supply of natural gas flowing south once again. Though the extensive investigation into exactly what happened is only getting started. Like, who's investigating this? Just no longer in the hands of police. Obviously a big job ahead for investigators, uh, no matter who's leading it. What's next now, Sarah? Well, Chris, that is right. The Transportation Safety Board is taking the lead on this case. Enbridge, of course, has its own investigators on site. We are told there is no firm timeline for this investigation, but safe to say, Chris, it will certainly be a lengthy and a complicated one. Absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. And while, as we mentioned, one of the two pipelines has been brought back online, it will take some time to get it up and running at normal capacity. The impact of a possible shortage now expanding beyond cooking and heating your home. Aaron MacArthur now on why it could cost you more at the pump. 
get it while you can afford it. On the news two minutes ago, and it said he's going up four cents tomorrow, four cents the next day. I was shocked when I saw the price here. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. for an electric car. Yeah. No more of this. The price at the pump could hit all-time record highs. The natural gas explosion near Prince George forcing oil refineries to cut back on production. Some stations in Victoria saw prices shoot up 14 cents today. And according to people who watch the market, there's more pain coming. Here in Metro Vancouver, we can expect a, a four cent across the board increase, which will put us to about $1.61.9 as we wake up tomorrow morning. The Tolco mill in Hefley Creek is down until the supply comes back on stream at full capacity. Post-secondary schools across Metro Vancouver have shut off gas to their buildings. Gas at BCIT is off until further notice. We are in contact with our staff and faculty and instructors to make sure that those classrooms are at uh, a good temperature. Um, but what we're hearing is that if you're on a long sleeve shirt, you're okay. It turns out British Columbians have largely been pretty frugal with our gas consumption. Usage is down province-wide. We saw about a 20% reduction from what we expected uh, customer demand to be yesterday. That went a long way to helping helping things stay on and not have to uh, shut off other customers. Once Washington State can secure an alternative supply of natural gas, then it is expected refineries can ramp up production. But in B.C., it's unclear how long it will take before the full supply of gas is back in the pipeline. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vancouver police have broken up a computer and phone theft ring using a tactic that's been very successful in catching car thieves. Police noticed an increase in the theft of electronic devices from patios and coffee shops in downtown Vancouver. So a group of officers devised a number of bait electronics that allowed them to flush out the thieves. It led to the arrest of 14 people. These were situations where we had left these electronic devices or backpacks or other personal items uh, unattended in coffee shops, uh, but close by. We had police officers uh, very close to them that were pretending to be at this table with these devices and got up momentarily to do something, leaving them unoccupied. The people that were suspected typically would come by and observe them. When the right opportunity uh, presented itself, grab them and walk away they would be arrested uh, shortly after. So far, 10 of the 14 people arrested have been charged. Well, next Wednesday, October 17th, marijuana becomes legal in Canada. Tonight, some relief for those working in the industry who were facing uncertainty over how they would be treated at the border. U.S. officials confirming today they are revising their policy. Paul Johnson joins us with more on the changes. And Paul, they're telling Canadians in the cannabis industry they shouldn't anticipate any issues. Sophie, up until this change, any of the thousands of Canadians who are currently working in Canada's marijuana industry could have faced a lifetime ban from entering the United States if they were honest with a border guard about what they did for a living when crossing the border. This rule changes that with the proviso that their reason for coming to the United States has nothing to do with their work in the marijuana business. So this is a big sigh of relief in my mind, for many Canadians and the Canadian government, it will allow many people who are doing business in Canada, in the cannabis industry, to basically enter the United States without being uh, fearful of um, being barred for life or denied entry. 
So while this change provides some certainty for people who work in the marijuana industry in Canada, it's still a big question about what this would mean for marijuana users in Canada when crossing into the United States. This directive that came down from Washington, D.C. to the border guards didn't change any of the language with respect to how they're supposed to deal with users. And experts like Len Saunders, who you just heard from there, are saying this is probably going to require a wait-and-see approach that may take a couple of years to see how the border guards are responding to these changes. But in the meantime, if you're a marijuana user in Canada and you're traveling into the United States and they ask you whether you use marijuana, you don't have to answer that question they would turn you back, but you would avoid the possibility of a lifetime ban entering the United States. Sophie? All right, a lot to think about ahead of October 17th. Paul, thank you. Now, while there are likely to be a few bumps along the way during this transition, Mad Canada is teaming up with safety and cannabis advocates to make it a safer path to legalization. Nadia Stewart explains why a push for ride-sharing is a big part of that, with the deadline quickly approaching. With ride hailing in BC hitting one speed bump after another, road safety advocates are calling on the Premier to hit the gas. With the deadline for cannabis legalization quickly approaching, they're concerned too few options could lead to some bad decisions. We already have people who are driving impaired and that number goes up when there are not safe solutions for people to get home. It's a public safety issue. We need to get ride sharing moving now. Last year, Statistics Canada surveyed over 9,000 Canadians ages 16 and up about cannabis. Of those who'd used within the past 12 months, 39% said they got behind the wheel two hours after using marijuana. Of that number, 15% said they'd driven after consuming a combination of weed and alcohol. 8% drove after mixing weed and other drugs. The people are just not getting it. They don't realize that if you're using cannabis, you are... Your, your mind, your ability to drive is altered. This perception needs to be addressed. We need ride sharing now. The Liberals and now the NDP both faced growing calls to introduce legislation to support ride sharing. Initially, Premier Horgan promised something would be in place by Christmas. That timeline changed. They're pretty much on their timeline that they've announced, which is legislation this fall and the implementation or taking licensing a year from now. On Thursday, Premier Horgan said ride hailing should be here by September 2019. Advocates say there's no room for any more delays. Lives are at stake. We don't need to bury any more Canadians or have anyone else seriously injured from impairment-related crashes. Nadia Stork, Global News. Meantime, legalization has many strata councils rushing to enact new rules around what will and will not be allowed in condo units. Jill Bennett has more on what powers they have to enforce those new rules. Um, and this spray foam. For months, Naomi Baker and her husband have been smoke-proofing their condo, saying the second-hand smoke from a downstairs resident is putting their health at risk. Underneath here. I have nothing against a smoker per se. I just don't want it in my house. Baker is fighting for legislation to make all multi-unit buildings in BC smoke-free. With cannabis legalization just days away, that fight is about to get bigger. Whether you're smoking cigarettes, whether you're smoking cannabis, if it comes into my suite, it's my problem. <laughs> With about 30,000 strata councils in BC, lawyers specializing in strata law are now being inundated with questions regarding cannabis smoke and whether or not new bylaws are needed to deal with potential conflict. 
something that is going to be so strong and pungent that an average person would say, oh my goodness, that is, a, that is a really strong smell. It makes it almost impossible to be in the unit. That's going to be a nuisance that's covered off, whether it's marijuana smoke, cigarette smoke, cooking smells. That would be covered off under existing nuisance bylaws. But in BC, people will be allowed to grow up to four cannabis plants on private property. With fears of mold, increased fire risk and possible insurance premium hikes, some stratas are shutting that down before the law is even in place, something that could be challenged. There's nothing that requires an owner to report to a strata, I'm growing four plants. So the question that arises is how will the strata know? He's run along. He says it remains to be seen if any new bylaws regarding cannabis will stand up. In the meantime, Baker says there's a solution, at least when dealing with smoke. There's a, a law in place, you're not allowed to smoke in a multi-unit dwelling because it affects other people and you cannot keep that smoke within your unit, then, then it becomes simple. Jill Bennett, Global News. Now a story that exposes the huge risk landlords sometimes take when accepting renters and confirms the need for thorough vetting. A Coquitlam man is out tens of thousands of dollars in unpaid rent and damages after finally evicting some bad tenants. Catherine Urquhart shows us the shocking mess they left behind. Personal possessions are strewn everywhere outside this house in Coquitlam, across the street, in the yard, and on sidewalks. Inside, it's even worse. Owner Henry Chung devastated to see the atrocious condition of his home, which he was renting. See, my kitchen is ruined. My sink is ruined. There's still a whole bunch of garbage out here. Following more than six months of not getting any rent, he's finally able to evict his tenants. It will cost him plenty. The rent uh, is seven months' rent. Bailey fee, uh, removal, uh, trash removal fee, uh, renovation. Altogether, I'm guessing is easily uh, come up to 40, 50 grand. Costs don't stop there. Several RCMP officers are present to keep the peace. Also on site, bylaw officers. Some of the tenants have been on the lawn picking through their belongings. It was like a rooming house, you know, there's bedrooms in each. There's bedrooms here. And, uh, five bedrooms rented out to five different people and we're all just like, uh, we don't even all know each other, just, just from the house, right? I mean, it's hard not to find housing as is. Neighbors say the eviction is a relief. And it's a good thing that I think it's coming to end and everything, everybody's at peace now. For the owner, it's a tough lesson. It's very bad. Henry Chung now warning other would-be landlords to be vigilant when it comes to screening tenants. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. First, though, uh, Richmond RCMP are investigating a shocking discovery in a residential neighborhood near a community center. As Jennifer Palmer reports, someone set out mold traps, primed and ready to injure. John Arjanalino made a shocking discovery while going for a walk with a friend on Thanksgiving Monday in Steveston around the noon hour. Looked down and uh, we saw something on the ground. It had caution tape on it. It looked like wiring. So then my friend, she looked at it, it's like, oh my God, it's a trap. In all, two traps were found. Police officers were called. The one Janelino found was partially exposed and he was scared it might entice children or pets. He posted it on social media and told the officers. I was actually really shocked for someone to put it there uh, and, 
especially in a high high volume area where there's a lot of foot traffic, a lot of pets. This is where one of the traps was found. The second one just down half a block along Moncton Street, which is a very busy main thoroughfare in Steveston. And all of this taking place right across the street from a very busy community center and library. I think it's scandalous. It doesn't take much for a little kid to kind of go, oh, what's this, and put their finger in there, and then what? The fur bears say this is a mole trap, and in the area where the traps were found, there is evidence of mole holes. The traps, though, can be dangerous to humans and some pets. These devices have the potential, and, and it's certainly well documented, that they can maim or kill animals, and even children have been reportedly caught. The city says traps are not allowed on public property. However, some in the neighborhood say at least one of the traps may have been on private land. Still, they were not clearly set up with only a piece of yellow caution tape. But we certainly would caution the community to be vigilant because um, we don't know if there could be another incident of this type. Richmond RCMP say they are investigating, but so far there are no suspects. Jennifer Palma, Global News. All of the evidence has now been presented in the murder trial of Japanese student Natsumi Kogawa. The accused, William Schneider, pleaded not guilty to charges of second-degree murder and interfering with human remains. Romina Dale was in court, and Romina, the jury is expected to be deliberating next week. Closing arguments begin Monday, Chris. That's when both sides, Crown and Defense, will have one final chance to address the jury before deliberations begin. The accused, William Schneider, will not be taking the stand in his own defense. This will be a challenging case for the jury. Crown's evidence, Schneider confessed to killing Kagawa and told police where to find her body. But an exact cause of death has never been determined because Kagawa's body, which was discovered in a suitcase, was so badly decomposed. There's also no DNA evidence linking Schneider to the death. Once closing arguments conclude, the judge will give specific instructions to the jury. Then deliberations will begin, which will likely be early next week. Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Romina. A charitable group in Nanaimo is reeling tonight after as many as 40 refurbished bikes were stolen from its storage facility. Every bike destined for adults and children in need. And there was a bolted there, bolted there, deadbolt twice. The thieves smashed through a door to get into the unit where more than 100 donated bicycles are kept waiting to be repaired. Nanaimo RCMP believe it was a group of organized criminals who knew what they were doing. They would have needed at least two trucks, multiple people, and it would have taken two, three, four hours. Would have attracted a lot of attention to themselves. We would like to give the location, but we can't. But what we're looking for is if somebody from Friday to Monday saw two trucks with lots of bikes or lots of activity about loading up bikes, we need to hear from you because we want to get the bikes back. Well, the good news, since the story first broke, people have been donating bikes and offering up services to restore them. In the last two years, the organization has donated more than 100 bikes to deserving families. The housing crisis is no longer just a Vancouver problem. That's the conclusion of a new study that says unaffordability is now firmly entrenched even in formerly affordable suburbs. As Linda Ellsworth reports, one family is telling a heart-wrenching story of how one stroke of bad luck left them living in a tent. 
Crab Park in Vancouver's downtown east side offers a beautiful view, but no one wants to actually live here at the foot of Main Street in a tent. And yet, that's exactly what Jackie and Jesse and their two young children did for several weeks earlier this year. I know some days felt very, very long. <laughs> Even though it's been a few months, it just, I don't know, we just kept doing what we need to do. The kids so. thought we were camping, though. Yeah. So we just, <laughs> Which they're, made they're, it they're like, oh yeah, we'll just think we're camping. They ended up here because they couldn't find affordable housing after they were evicted from their basement suite in Surrey. We all know that... Metro Vancouver is caught in a housing crisis. What we haven't known is how deep that crisis runs or how far it spreads. But this report by Union Gospel Mission and UBC School of Community and Regional Planning shows a disturbing trend. And it has spread to communities throughout Metro Vancouver. A dire picture is portrayed of people, especially single-parent, female-headed households, forced into homelessness through the lack of affordable housing. The consequences are so dire that we're asking the public to vote with affordability and homelessness in mind this election. To help people decide who to vote for, Union Gospel Mission asked candidates for their views on affordability and homelessness, then posted it all at ugm.ca slash affordability. We are not telling anyone how to vote. We are not preferring, opposing, or supporting any candidate. We believe this issue deserves special attention because lives are on the line. Fortunately, Jackie and Jesse's story ends happily. Our housing right now is in one of the complexes UGM owns. It's a very good place and uh, our kids love it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. So many families have lost everything. Homes are gone. Businesses are gone. The Florida town of Mexico Beach, population just over a thousand, lies in ruins. This was ground zero when Hurricane Michael came ashore. At least six people are dead, including an 11-year-old girl who was killed when the storm destroyed her home. The most powerful hurricane to hit the continental U.S. in more than a half century, leaving little untouched by its fury. This was the height of Hurricane Michael, the epicenter of a monster Category 4 storm. Mexico Beach took a direct hit. Once a popular tourist destination, it is now obliterated. Uh, it was pretty bad. The house was shaking pretty bad. The storm roared ashore here, packing winds of 155 miles per hour. But it was the epic storm surge that leveled much of this town, ripping entire homes off their foundations. Cleanup teams managed to clear enough debris off roads to carve a path to this community for the first time today. And what we're seeing is just incredible, absolutely heartbreaking. Today, we found search and rescue teams going house to house looking for survivors. I have nothing left except the clothes I'm on and my two good dogs. And that's it. Our house is right over here is gone. The storm surge came roaring through, washing out a part of that road and slamming into these buildings, leaving behind total devastation. Electrical crews are now rolling in from several states. Hundreds of thousands of people here are without power. I didn't think we were going to make it. This family in Southport, Florida didn't think they'd survive. This tree split their house in half. When the trees started coming towards my house, we ran into the bathroom and on the floor and held each other. 
In Mexico Beach, Kelly Jenkins regrets riding out the storm here by himself. It's, it's devastating. I mean, it's a, it's a place that I love and I will always love it and we will rebuild. And Tonight, we were able to reach his wife by satellite phone so she knows he's safe. But for so many others here, the heartbreak is just beginning. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Mexico Beach, Florida. A major malfunction during launch has Russia suspending its manned space program. There has been uh, an issue with the booster. About two minutes after the launch of a Soyuz rocket, a problem with the booster rocket triggered an emergency shutdown and sent the two-man crew into a steep, harrowing but controlled fall back to Earth. The Russian cosmonaut and the American astronaut are apparently both in good condition after the unexpected landing. A New York judge has dropped some of the charges against disgraced Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein. That comes after new evidence emerged that casts doubt on one of Weinstein's three accusers. Lucia Evans was among the first woman, women to publicly accuse Weinstein of sexual assault, but evidence has surfaced that a police detective coached another witness to stay silent about evidence that casts doubts on her story. Weinstein still faces charges relating to two other alleged sexual assaults. Quite a sight for aviation buffs in Brisbane, Australia. A huge Australian Air Force plane flying low over the city as part of its River Fire Arts Festival. The C-17 Globemaster transport aircraft flying just 100 meters over the Brisbane River. In Health Matters tonight, frontline healthcare workers are getting some more high-tech help in their battle with the overdose crisis. So now that it's loaded, the next thing we're going to do is measure the sample. Vancouver Coastal Health has purchased two more desktop spectrometers. They can analyze a sample of drugs in less than two minutes and alert the user if fentanyl or other psychoactive drugs are present. We continue to find that drugs are heavily contaminated with fentanyl, about uh, 80 85% of the opioids that are tested are positive for fentanyl. The testers cost about $50,000 each. They'll rotate between supervised consumption sites and overdose prevention sites in Vancouver. Well, don't they look glam? Christy Gordon and Michael Newman in their finest at the Park Resort in downtown Vancouver tonight for the 16th annual A Night to Dream Gala. An event raising money for Ronald McDonald House. Yes, you both look fabulous this evening, and I'm sure it's going to be a great fundraiser, you guys. Absolutely. We're going to have a ton of fun tonight. Michael and I are emceeing the event. You know, this is a really special event. Michael, you just had a new child. I have two kids, and I can't imagine if one of my child was sick at the hospital. And the logistics, if I lived way across uh, B.C., and the logistics and the financial pressure that it is for these families to come and stay with their children, and where do you stay? So that's what Ronald McDonald House provides and why I'm so passionate about it. It keeps families close, keeps them together when the kids are sick so they can just focus on helping the children that need the love and the care at that time. Absolutely. And to, to be here at the, the Park Vancouver in downtown, to put on, I had to dust off my coat a little bit because I haven't worn a suit in a long time, but it's, such for, it's for a great cause. Yeah. And there's a silent auction happening behind us as you can see people are starting to, to mingle and whatnot, but 
Folks at home have a chance to be part of the silent auction. It's very innovative, so you can be bidding from the comfort of your own home to be part of some exclusive packages and um, uh, exciting getaways to Whistler. So it's lots of great stuff, all for such a good cause. So, so the website is on your screen. I hope that you will bid, and we're going to have a great time tonight here, Sophie and Chris, and raise as much money as we can for the Ronald McDonald House. RMHBCGala.com. Thanks very much, you guys. Looking great. Have fun tonight. Looks like everyone's well into the socializing part of the evening. They certainly are. All right, the Kanye West-Donald Trump summit, the lunch date at the White House that set social media on fire coming up right after the forecast. I could watch that over and over again. <laughs> it was quite compelling, wasn't it? Yvonne Schell is in for Christy tonight with a, a look at our forecast. That is a beautiful sunset, I'm guessing. Wow. Yes, beautiful sunset. Uh, this has been over the past few days that we've had uh, plenty of sunshine, very pleasant temperatures today, getting up to 14 degrees. We're currently sitting at 11 with a northwesterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. Areas away from the water today, up to 16 and 17 degrees. Currently sitting at 13 for North Van, West Van at 12, Burnaby, that's where Studio is. We're 14 pit meadows at 15 degrees 12 for areas near hope and cultus lake with temperatures at 10 8 for quinnell the peace at 6 and victoria at 12 degrees satellite and radar still some wet weather across the north coast this evening it'll ease off for tomorrow bringing the return for sunshine and dry conditions the north and central sections of the island though could get brushed overnight and for the early morning hours with the chance of showers and then it'll clear out we are looking at some cloud cover across the south coast of Metro Vancouver overnight and for a Friday morning and the return for sunshine by the afternoon. Ridge of high pressure, this has been the dominant feature. We continue to follow it. Your weekend, both Saturday, Sunday, right now looking dry and all the way in towards next week and likely the end of next week, we could hang on to that sunshine. Across the coast, 13 degrees, so a nice dry day with the return for sunshine tomorrow. The peace overnight could see some rain mixed with snow. Temperatures will be cool with only a high of four. There is more cloud cover across the central interior clearing by the afternoon and the Columbia region. We could still see a few showers for tomorrow. Valmont, a few flurries for the early morning hours. Thompson, Okanagan, southeastern corners, a partly cloudy sky. Whistler will start off with more cloud cover brightening for the afternoon and it's the northern and central sections of the island that will see more cloud cover. A clearing by the afternoon, more sunshine. Temperatures away from the water on the weekend up to 18 and potentially 20 into early next week. A great shot this week, uh, this evening rather taken from Alert Bay, or this is last night, Cliff sent it in. Another fantastic sunset shot. Guys? That is gorgeous. Thanks, Yvonne. Could look at those all day. All right, there wasn't much doubt that today's meeting between Kanye West and Donald Trump would be unusual, and it didn't disappoint. There was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. You made a Superman. That was, that's my favorite superhero. You made a Superman cake. Okay, well, with cameras and media crowded into the Oval Office, the rapper delivered a rambling monologue that touched on social issues, hydrogen planes, mental health, endorsement deals, and politics. He even dropped the F word a few times before bringing, bringing it in for a hug. <laughs> Bring it in close. Oh, you never know what you're going to get with Kanye, but it's always going to be unusual. And Trump? Barely got a word in. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it was, uh, he looked a little stunned. At I will say this, that is the cleanest desk I've ever seen. There were no papers, just a couple of phones and that's it. Yeah. That is a okay. very clean desk. Last minute touches on a superb sports cast, I'm betting.
Here's yeah, Squire Barnes. Hold it. Hold Do you have it. everything? <laughs> I have everything out. What's that? Every all this stuff is turned on, Mike. Yes, I am. I'm up to date. All electronics are working, and apparently my brain is operating at 65%, which is more <laughs> than normal. The uh, Canucks defense was an eight-lane freeway at 4 a.m. in those games against Calgary and Carolina tonight. That defense is facing a team with a lot more scoring, more than I would think the Flames and Canes combined, Tampa Bay. But sometimes, sometimes, when facing insurmountable odds, teams bear down. That's the hope for the Canucks in this one, because on the surface, looks like a mismatch. There's the Canucks third string goalie. He's ready to go at any moment. Desperation. It's the right leg down. Chance. Nikolai Godobin. No. Other end, Anders Nilsson starting for the first time, taking on Victor Hedman. One, two saves off Hedman. He played well in the first period, but he did get scored on, although it really wasn't his fault. Puck kind of bouncing around, Canucks not clearing, and finally it ends up on Braden point stick. Now, Horvat and Besser were out for this goal. I think they're already a minus eight, which is the NHL's worst plus minus. Rough start. So, one nothing for Tampa. Elias Patterson. He's open! Oh, Andre Vasilevsky with the save. One more look at that. Now, a Canucks goal has just happened in the third period. I am seeing this for the first time. So let's enjoy it again. That could be a tip by Elias Pettersson. If it is, he has yet another point and hasn't missed a game without getting a point. 1-1 in the third period. Uh, Bruins taking on the Oilers. Check out this goal by David Pasternak. scores. Do I need to say it again? The Canucks picked Jared McCann in the draft. The next guy up was Pasternak. Who would you rather have now? That's what I think. The uh, BC Lions have a history of legendary kickers who seem to play forever. The great Louis Pasaglia, and of course in more recent years, Paul McCallum. We're not sure how long Ty Long will play for the BC Lions, but the way he's been doing his job this year, the Lions wouldn't mind him sticking around, especially because his punting has improved dramatically this season. Elected to send on Ty Long, looking for the pin. He went after Long here, another great punt that bounces out around the two. Well, Ty Long has put on a show here today. It's not often a kicker leads the highlight brigade for a football team, but Ty Long has been pinning teams deep with stunning regularity. Last week alone against the Argos, he put four punts inside the 10-yard line. It's a skill he's been focusing on since training camp find my line, find a spot where I'm hitting it without giving it away to the returner too easily, and uh, really just stay, stay easy through the stroke and just uh, take, take my hips to the target. Long leads the CFL with a 49.5-yard average, but more importantly, leads in net yards as well, meaning teams aren't getting much of a return either. That field position game, especially once the weather gets colder and the playoffs get closer, can be a real game-changer. Toronto's average drive start was the 16-yard line. We had nine ourselves, and our average drive start was the 45. Well, that's if you just multiply that over the course of a game, that's a whole football field's worth of field position, and that's how you win games where you don't rush for as many yards, don't pass for as many yards, don't score as many touchdowns, but when your punter can do what Ty did, you have a chance. 
I thought at the end of the year he started to come into his own, came to training camp very focused and, you know, has adapted well, has taken the coaching well. And, you know, at this, at this point right now, he is one of the elite kickers in the league. Always has enough leg, and he's got it. Long has also kicked it up a notch in his field goal percentage. He's made 37 of 42 this year, including five from 50-plus yards. He's already won one game on the final kick this year and is hoping he'll be in that situation again as the Lions drive to the playoffs. When those situations come down and everyone else is nervous, those are, those are situations I dream of and those situations I, I, I enjoy. Well, of all the teams left in the baseball playoffs, and there are four left, the one that looks the most out of place is the Milwaukee Brewers, but they shouldn't. They knocked out Colorado in three straight after beating Chicago in a one-game playoff for first place in the National League Central. Those wins, part of a 13-1 record in Milwaukee's last 14 games. But they are not insulted that people think so little of them, not everybody, but some think so little of them going up against the L.A. Dodgers and the NLCS, which starts tomorrow. Yeah, I think we're taking the underdog mentality. You look at the four teams that are left. It's the Astros, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and then the Brewers. So we're the smallest market out of the four. We're the kind of the no-name out of the four, but uh, we kind of we kind of like that role. We like that underdog mentality, and we're, we've, we're used to it. We were underdogs all year, uh, won the most games in the National League, so we'll, we'll, be, we'll take on that role again. Okay, thanks, Squire. You're welcome. We are going to end the news hour tonight with a heartwarming story of a dog with a new lease on life. <laughs> Very close. It's almost a pun there. <laughs> Kai became obese, and his owners gave up on him, ready to put him down. But the vet intervened, and you should see him now. You ready, buddy? Wait. Okay. Come on. Maybe you remember Kai. We first met him back in May with his foster mom, Pam. <laughs> They found each other through the misfits of Alberta Animal Rescue. Back then, Kai weighed 173 pounds. Look at him now. Good boy. You know what? He is truly the happiest dog in the world. I haven't lost an ounce, but he's done remarkably well, and he is a totally different dog now. In six months, Kai has lost 67 pounds, and there's no slowing him down. Kai was a dog who was destined to be euthanized, uh, and because of Pam and because of the misfits, he's where he's at. Go get it! As you might expect, Pam is keeping the spotlight on Kai. I'm just his driver. He, he does it all himself. He just needs someone to get him there. But there might only be one someone. You see, Kai is technically eligible for adoption. I don't know if I could actually give him to someone else. He's pretty attached to me and our family. So, I don't know. Time will tell. More likely, Kai will tell. All you have to do is ask him. Say thank you. Thank you. Kent Morrison, Global News. Oh, my Great God. Story. That is the best so story. So cute. So what diet's he on? That's the real That's question. a very good yeah. question. I, I, a lot part, of it part of that diet includes chasing a ball. Absolutely. So. Exercise. Lots yeah. of exercise. Mm -hmm. Good for him. And nice evenings to do it, too. It's been, uh, it's been a beautiful one out there. Yeah, again. so for tomorrow morning, it's sort of a blip in the forecast for us. We may see more cloud cover, and the northern sections of the island could get brushed by a shower. We'll see the return for sunshine and fantastic for the weekend and warming up into early next week, too.